Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Um, I'm your host, uh, Evan Baslick, joined by um, my, the regular S- Sajit and Cynthia, although we've seen less of Cynthia recently since she's working hard at school, but we are we are glad to have her join us today. Um, this is episode number 457 uh, being recorded on April 24th, and we're going to be talking about Data API Builder today. Uh, we've got our special guests, Ayush, David, and Sean joining us. Um, and But before we do that, let's get to the news. Yeah, I have a few uh, that I can cover on AKS. Uh, you know, everyone knows that's my favorite topic here. Uh, and so with AKS, uh, now Kubernetes version 1.26 is then just now being supported on AKS. So if you use AKS today, uh, be sure to, and you want to take advantage of the latest, uh, you could upgrade to 1.26. Uh, the second one is uh, the public preview of the service mesh add-on for Istio. Istio, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, pop, it's a popular sidecar mechanism in AKS. And uh, if you need to have that service-to-service communication uh, within Istio, within uh, your AKS cluster, you can install uh, this particular add-on. And then finally, um, you know, one of the problems with having these new versions of AKS is that uh, at some point uh, you want to uh, you want to make sure that you you know you're you're on a version for some period of time, right? Like you know, otherwise Microsoft may decide to roll off a version, and then now you're scrambling to kind of certify apps on the new version. Uh, so they're now starting to uh, implement this long-term support um, option, starting from Kubernetes 1.27. And so you know you'll have like a two-year uh, support window uh, for a specific uh, Kubernetes version, starting from 1.27. You can you can pick a version and say you know that's what I'm going to use for the next couple of years, so you don't have to kind of struggle with that upgrade uh, along with the applications. Yeah, actually, Sajit, we've, we've actually got the team that built that coming on, I think, in two or three weeks. Um, I was talking to them last week because, I I mean, that's huge. I hear customers struggle with that versioning problem all the time with AKS. It just, it's a pretty fast clip if you're just working it the way it is. Yep. Are we talking about the new, like, two two-year support yeah. cycle for AKS? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I stole your thunder candle. Didn't realize you were going to jump on. <laughs> no, no, I saw it on Twitter and I was like, okay. I was, yeah, that's. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's, that's all I have. Thanks. Um, so along the same, along the lines of the um, AKS, sticking on AKS for a sec. Um, so the Node Resource Group lockdown um, feature is coming out. Um, as y'all know, I, I live on sort of the broken side of the world. And, you know, we regularly see customers inadvertently break their node pools. Um, and what this allows you to do is actually lock down the resource group so that nobody can change it except for the AKS service itself. Um, I'm actually sort of surprised that wasn't there on day one, um, but it's a nice add for that. Um, a couple of the things, um, you know, in, in place scaling for Redis caches, which is great, right? That used to be that that was something you had to do sort of on the side. Um, now you can do it in flight and then we'll, we'll swap over to the newly scaled stuff. Um, the other thing, and I, we've had this at Azure for a while, I actually didn't realize that um, we didn't have this for the desktop experience in um, Azure, but 
the so we we you can do what's called hot patching, right? So you basically update your binaries in place and then you restart the process. Um, we've had this for Azure hosts for quite a while now. Um, a couple of years ago, we released it for um, the non. Uh, I forget what it's called, like the nano version of, of Windows Server, where you've got no UI that goes with it. Um, but now if you're doing an Azure VM with a desktop experience or so UI, you can do that as well. So you can be working along on your on your Azure VM and, you know, doing whatever you're doing. And, you know, it'll get patched. The guest OS will actually get past, patched underneath you, which is awesome, right, with no impact to you, um, right? That really takes it, you know, sort of the, all, all the classic Windows stories of like I am reboot all the time. Um, it's still a thing sometimes for sure, but it, it's less and less every day. Um, so, Kendall, anything you wanted to hit on? Oh, I just didn't know. I didn't know if y'all had done the container apps updates because they had like a big, a big. Launch. No, we had not. Feel free. Okay. Yeah. So this is something that I'm super excited about just because the team was working on this sort of like around the time that I left and they've launched it and it, it's great, but they came out with a lot of updates. So one of which, if you're the, the kind of customer that needs uh, user defined routes and basically no public IP addresses, um, this was like a big, big request. So support for UDR came out along with uh, slash 27 subnet support, which is a lot smaller than the original asks. Um, and another thing that they released is essentially like a new uh, a new plan type. So the service is consumption based right now, right? So you get that kind of serverless scale, the ability to charge based on like CPU and memory, those kind of things. Uh, but the service also now supports this more like dedicated plan as well. You can run it within the same uh, environment though. So when you go provision in container apps environment, you can run both consumption-based workloads and then also have more of like the dedicated uh, approach where, hey, I need this to run on like GPUs or I want to have like dedicated compute for this particular application. Um, and what's nice about that is like they can they can run in a co-located fashion. So you don't have to go create a new container ops environment with a new underlying dedicated hosting plan. Uh, so I think that's really great. I'll drop the link to uh, the more comprehensive overview. But yeah, with that, with the drop of of this new announcement, they came out with a lot of other things as well. Um, and I saw it recently, too. I don't know if you all are aware, but they did start posting their uh, roadmap more publicly, similar to what AKS does, which was a big request from a lot of people. Yeah, and if you take a look at that, they have Key Vault support for secrets management, which which was something that was like a big uh, hot, hotly requested item, right? Being able to back up your secrets with Key Vaults, and then um, some other things like the ability, uh, like for Terraform support, which was like a big uh, big ask. Uh, so yeah, I'll drop that link in the show notes as well. But kudos to that team for for the big drop. And I I personally am such a big fan of being able to run both of those kind of workloads in one environment versus like having to provision you know a separate you know a whole separate plan, a whole separate environment. So thought that was cool. Yeah, nice, great. Well, cool. Well, so so the news out of the way. Let's let's get over to our topic. I, at have, hand. I have two more. I have two oh, more. I have two more. oh, sorry, yes, Cynthia. <laughs> One is uh, just a reminder for our running app service environments v2. They are retiring on August 31st of 2024, and there are a number of resources on how you can migrate to v3. It has much greater performance and a lot of functionality. Uh, and you can you there's actually a migration. There's a migration tool these days as well for that. It yes, but I think there are also some prerequisites. So there are a number of different paths of habit depending on how you're connecting HB2. And then the other one is there's an event called Unleash the Power of APIs that will have a number of speakers from Microsoft and I think also some outside of Microsoft as well to talk about what are all the different ways that uh, your customers can use APIs to empower your business. Nice. Awesome. Okay, great. Cool. 
Um, so, so now speaking of APIs, so, so data API builder, um, Ayush, Tavid, Sean, um, do us a favor, introduce yourselves um, and tell us what you do at Microsoft and then we'll get into learning what this cool service is. Yeah, let's go uh, alphabetical order, go Ayush. So yeah, hey folks, yeah. So I joined Microsoft and the data API builder team, I think back in February last year. So it's been over a month since I've been with the data API builder team. Um, so like what we are building is, you know, just some stuff which might, you know, seem simple, but solves a lot of problem and saves a lot of time, you know, providing modern GraphQL and REST endpoints so that, you know, the adoption of Azure databases becomes easier. And so the data API builder team, uh, I think the work uh, inside the team is something, you know, which is very innovative and, you know, it keeps you interested all the time. So, I mean, as a developer, you know, there is always, uh, something interesting coming up you know as we have the roadmaps as well now since we are public as well and so you know uh since we are you know kind of uh, in a initial stages so there is always some new announcement you know requested by you know maybe public or that we thought of ourselves so there is always you know there is the, the extension of the existing functionality that we have to do so yeah i mean uh data api builder team i think the work is cool and the team is cool and yeah so i'm excited <laughs> to <laughs> yeah work for data api builder team and you know yeah okay so I, think my, I guess it's my turn um so i'm the pm davide i'm the pm for the data api builder um the data api builder just uh, uh, i used mentioned uh, is a tool that allows you to turn your database into api rest and graphql specifically uh, it's open source uh, and, uh, and basically the, the goal is just uh, in quote just uh, to make sure that as a developer, you don't have to write the same, uh, uh, maybe not so funny to write code again and again and again, because uh, basically what we do is just uh, provide you uh, um, an instant way to have uh, create, read, update and delete operation on your objects or your database objects, be them store procedure, view tables, uh, and if you are using a NoSQL database, uh, even, uh, even collection. So it's something that we thought uh, it would be useful for developers to be as efficient as possible and spend more time doing the more fun stuff in, instead of just uh, basically sending data back and forth of, uh, from database, which may be a not super funny work, but still needs to be done perfectly uh, because performance are <laughs> everything there, right? Uh, with security in mind and all the usual stuff that, again, uh, I would say as a, as a developer myself, uh, yeah, it's to find the first time you do it. Uh, the second is meh, the third is like, whoo, <laughs> again. Um, so that's that was the idea of Data API Builder. And uh, if anyone is interested, uh, they can, you can just go to aka.ms slash DAB, and then you can download uh, uh, the source code or uh, read the documentation and everything. Up to you, Sean. Awesome, yeah, thank you for uh, handing off to me. I'm really happy to be here today. I've been an engineer on the data API builder team for the last about, I want to say, year and a half, two years. Been at Microsoft for a little over six and a half. So have been in my fair share of roles at Microsoft and uh, really excited to be here today. And I'm sure uh, Davide and Ayush have given a, a pretty good introduction about what we've been building. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with the, it may not be, be obvious, but but for me, when I first saw data API builder, um, so I, I go way back to the early days of Azure, and I remember this thing called SQL Server Data Services, which is sort of the mm. early version of SQL um, Azure. And when I saw this, this seems very familiar, right? You take your database and you wrap it in 
you know, the ability to make, you know, graph calls and, and, yep. you know, whatnot. It, it, is this sort of that concept taken leveraging modern technology and modern API structures? Is, is that the vision is I don't, I don't have to worry about writing all this input and output. I just have my data and wrap it in the API. Yeah. What's the thinking there? No, I think uh, uh, that was the goal when we started. So make sure that as a developer, you don't have to worry too much about database anymore in the sense that probably 80% of the use cases that you are normally writing uh, is just a CRUD operation, right? Yep. I, I, I would say like, of course, there are exceptions and for those, uh, you know, one should go the usual way. We, we are not removing uh, the, the usual TDS and SQL support, but for everything else, uh, yeah, 80% is probably just uh, reading something, writing back, uh, executing some story procedure or doing some some little bit more complex stuff. But uh, it's really it's really simple stuff, I would say. Um, so the idea was uh, let's use the modern technologies, GraphQL, REST, uh, JSON, and everything to make it super easy to connect uh, and query databases, uh, Azure SQL uh, in particular, since it's one of the most uh, user services. But uh, all database in Azure, right? So Cosmos, Postgres, and MariaDB. Oh, so you um, can do everything. And MySQL. Um, <laughs> so easy that as a developer, you can just focus on, uh, you know, adding value to your uh, solution instead of just trying to figure out uh, how to use uh, every different database and how to use it properly. That's that's important part for me because uh, it's very easy to use everything. Uh, but today, I think we live in a, in, a, in a moment where it's important to do the thing in the correct way, for, especially from a security perspective. So that, that was one of the goals. Makes sense. Okay, so I have a lot of questions, mostly because I'm super interested in this, and I think it's actually really great. And uh, I'm friends with uh, Thomas Gavin. I don't know if you all know him, but he oh, yeah. works on the static web yep, apps team. Yep, yep. And I knew what he had been working on, did not realize that this was the, like, this is a neat uh, meeting for all of you, because I've kind of heard from his perspective what that new static web apps feature is, which for those who are listening and unaware, oh, I didn't now, make that yeah, connection. the static oh, web apps yeah. database connection, uh, actually, I'm assuming, uses the data API builder under the covers, uh, which I'm just learning on this. Um, yeah, but ultimately one of the things that I'll start with is uh, like A, if I'm coming from like my previous experience, would this be something that would essentially allow me to like remove like an object relational mapper from my code? Like if I'm a .NET developer, I don't have to use entity framework, I could use this more like API based mm -hmm. approach. Is that, that's so that is. Uh, that's an option. I think we were thinking more for, uh, uh, for first most uh, to JavaScript developers. Right. When you have you build your front end and then you just you just in quote again needs to connect to the database to get, uh, uh, you know, a list of items that you want to publish uh, before you add the two. Uh, there was no choice uh, to create an Azure function uh, if you are using static apps or, you know, deploying a web app and basically writing the code, maybe using entity framework to build the entire uh, uh, query and result structure, right? And then if you yep. want to add uh, pagination, filtering, sorting, and all the other stuff that uh, Sean and Ayush can discuss uh, more in detail, again, it's a lot of work. It's really a lot of work uh, to make it properly, okay. right? Um, uh, the idea now is that uh, you can just uh, treat your database uh, as an API. So it, it's perfect for a front-end, but also if you are building uh, microservices, another option, of course. Uh, so I think we, we cover quite a, a lot of uh, use cases, and especially with static web apps. I, I love static web apps. I really, everyone I met, uh, I, I tell them, like, go and use it because it makes it so easy to deploy an entire solution with just one Git push, right? So you have the front end, the back end, and now also database. It's just a huge time saver. Huge, huge. They're not so static anymore. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, 
yeah, the name is interesting because uh, it refers specifically to the fact that they just serve HTML and JavaScript, but actually what you build is dynamic, right? So yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it's uh, one of those funny names that... Uh, well, I'm curious just as a follow-up to that and I'll, I'll pass it to Cynthia afterward is why did y'all choose to go the open source route? Um, just like as someone who I work uh, at a company called Diagrid, but we basically focus on Dapper and Dapper as yeah. an open source oh, project yeah. came out of Microsoft. So I'm curious, like what, what uh, you know, you talked about the Azure databases and how connecting to those in a consistent yeah. way and all that, but you've made it open source first. So I'm curious sort of like what that decision, why that decision was made and how that's impacted the way that it's progressed. Um, yeah, so the, the, um, the decision was really right from the start. And, uh, and the idea is that uh, this is not rocket science, although it's complex, but it's not rocket science. So we wanted to make sure that, uh, first of all, everyone can take advantage of it and can help us uh, to um, kind of uh, uh, go in the right direction. We started with our, our ideas, and uh, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, the roadmap is public. But we already uh, we already started uh, seeing people contributing, asking for feature, going in a certain direction. This is something that we've done, and we want to make it uh, completely shaped uh, on developers' will. So as a developer, you tell us what you need to be more productive, and we'll try to make it. Of course, we need to take into account not only developers' desire, but uh, everything. But the idea is that we really want to be this, uh, like a glove for your developer end, so it just helps you uh, and, and, and work the way you think it should work. Uh, Sean and Ayush are actually already st started working on some of the requests uh, we have received. Actually, we, we were debating yesterday on, uh, on, a, on, a, on a, a contribution we just received, which is great. I don't know, Sean, if Ayush, you want to add something, please feel free. Don't let me do all the talking. You know I talk a lot. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, so one of the other motivations was the fact that in our engine, since we do support GraphQL, we are utilizing a library called Hot Chocolate, and that is something that's fully open source. And so to to stay in the nature of what we're using and, and the tooling that we're taking advantage of, we want to make sure that we kind of stay with that mission and be open source. We get to contribute to their project. They back to us as well. So it's kind of just in the spirit of keeping everything open and i mean we don't have anything to hide and then it's 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 awesome and, and like davide mentioned already having people who say oh well we have a customer that we were looking all over for a solution to get this to work or adding a rest api for our sort procedures and uh actually we see that you don't have this particular niche feature uh, can you build it and if not i'll go build it and open a pr and uh, we'll go from there so that's the really awesome part about this and already getting community contributions. Kind of on the same vein of for new features and then you all deciding what the new roadmap is going to look like. I'm assuming now a lot of people in Copilot are even using chat GPT for a lot of questions. Do you ever take that as a source of data as to what you want to develop as part of your roadmap? As in like, for instance, developers keep asking about how to do X and then X could make their um, usage pattern of data API easier, for example. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, for example, one of the things we, at the beginning, we weren't doing, at the beginning, we were in, we were trying to work in open source mode, uh, even if we were closed, especially in the beginning when we started, right, uh, two years ago, because as you know, in Microsoft correctly, to go open source, you have to do a series of steps uh, uh, to make sure that everything is okay, right? So we started uh, 
with an open source mindset, I would say, <clears throat> at the beginning. And at the beginning, we didn't uh, uh, plan to have a CLI, uh, which instead is absolutely loved by developers. Uh, so we added it right uh, as soon as developers started to say, hey, we need a CLI. I want uh, to have a CLI because that make me, makes me more productive. So uh, yeah, absolutely. The idea is to, of course, we have our vision, <clears throat> which is already quite well defined. But uh, what going to be what is going to be next is definitely something we would like to uh, be shaped or from direct feedback or from what we see in the market. Like every developer is having issue in doing that. Like for example, one thing is caching. Like every developer want to cache uh, at least partially the results that they get from a database for better performance, for saving cost, uh, for be uh, for lower latency. So definitely caching is another thing that we are going to add soon. Uh, another one that Sean is working on is OpenAPI. Everyone asked about uh, a support, uh, support for OpenAPI. Um, so yeah, absolutely, yeah, the idea is be very active and, and look at what's happened on the development space and try to be as uh, useful as possible to just make these uh, needed to access databases uh, I would say seamless as possible. At some point, you should not even bother, like, uh, you know, just, oh, I need a database. Okay, open the table, create a table, open a, the API builder, and you're done. Five minutes, nothing more, nothing less. What's the, so, so if I'm a developer and I want to use this, um, what's the deployment experience like? Is this a library that I include in my code? Do I deploy a service mm -hmm. somewhere? Like, how do I, how do I use it? Yeah, are you sure, Sean? This is more like an engineering side. You want to take it? Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, since we are open source and we do publish a NuGet package, so all you got to do is to have that NuGet package installed and, you know, you can use the DAP CLI that we, uh, that we have and, you know, just you have to have a config file and just uh, once you have that DAP CLI installed on your system, you can just go ahead and start uh, using DAP. Okay, so there's, so if I'm deploying this, I don't, I don't need to you know, deploy any services or anything anywhere. I'm just including this in my in my packages, in my code, and I'm just using it as I'm writing code at that point. Yeah, suppose like you're doing some, uh, you know, you just, you just want to use this temporary on a temporary basis on your local system. So you just go download this new Git package and then install it and just, you know, supply a connection string to your database and use the dev CLI to start the engine and then you're good to go. Yeah. Just oh yeah, go on, oh, Sean. I was gonna say so yeah, that's that's the first option that you just go download the release bits from the GitHub page. On the other hand, I mean you brought it up at the beginning of the podcast is static web apps. So you mm -hmm. want to open up a database connection that spin that would spin up data API builder behind the scenes, and all you would be responsible for is writing your config and writing your front end app that communicates uh, over that database connection, essentially either REST API or GraphQL. Yeah. And so but, deploying through Azure or deploying it locally. Yeah. Just to make to make sure that uh, everyone's get this. Uh, um, even though it is uh, something that is di distributed as a NuGet package, this is not a library. This is an application. Oh, okay. So, so it is an app application. That, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is a .NET okay. application that basically when you when you install it, you install it using .NET tool. So .NET tool install the API builder and you get a .NET application. Then you have the CLI. In the CLI, you just do dub start after configuring mm -hmm. a couple of things. And basically, you have a server running on your machine, right? It's listening on the usual ASP.NET ah, okay. port 5000, 5001. And so you really have, uh, if you're familiar with the terminology, I guess you are, you have a really Jamstack architecture. So you have the database, 
uh, you have the, the in this case the backend which is data API builder and then you can create your own front end using uh, whatever blazor or uh, javascript or uh, any other technologies um, and then you have these three things working on your machine right then you can deploy each one but then you will deploy database on Azure SQL, Data API Builder, or on a static web apps, or in its own container. Uh, and then the front okay. end, again, okay. using uh, web apps uh, or static web apps or uh, uh, application, uh, um, what is the new one? Oh, the container apps, uh, if you really want to be super fancy. Okay. Okay, so so yeah. I do end up deploying this into a container ultimately somewhere. Basically, which, yes, yes. Which, which yes. it's sort of cheating. I'm gonna I'm gonna pile on that. That 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 implies I don't have to deploy it to Azure necessarily. As long as I have a container, oh, that's I can right. run it anywhere. That's right, and that's that's another thing we absolutely wanted to to make sure uh, you know it's truly uh, working everywhere because we want to make sure that uh, developers, no matter what and no matter where they are. They can use this to be more productive. Of, of course, we uh, we think that the best place to run Azure Data API Builder is Azure, right? Because it's well integrated, for example, with mm -hmm. static web apps. It will be integrated with other services in future, in the near future. So ideally, if you use Data API Builder on your machine and then you want to deploy it with, with uh, Azure, you don't even have to deploy the container, as uh, Sean mentioned. You just deploy the configuration file that uh, we need. And and with static web apps, we automatically do everything for you. It's completely serverless. You don't even know that there is a container running somewhere. Right? You just uh, see the API. Um, but let's say some companies ask it as, oh, I need this to run in a container because containers, uh, uh, Kubernetes is the only thing we, we can run for our policies. Yeah, please go and do it. Uh, we will be more than happy to to see, you know, deployed wherever. So that's the idea. Good. Great. You know, so uh, as a developer, as you've said, uh, we've had to build these kind of, you know, point APIs uh, over mm -hmm. time, right, to access databases from a JavaScript app or something. Uh, one of the th one of the concerns that uh, has always come up is how to limit what database actions these APIs mm -hmm. take, right? Because obviously, if you know, if you give carte blanche access, a the developer will shoot themselves in the foot, and b yeah. somebody, some kind of, you know, somebody will do something in, in an insecure way, right? Uh, so I just want to know how you would address this, and I know you talked a lot about uh, how secure this was. So I'd appreciate if you can also touch upon how the security uh, is uh, yeah. comes into play here. Sean, you want to go with it? Yeah. Uh, so we build authentication and authorization and that into the product, and that was uh, one of the first things that we wanted to design from the get-go. So you can't just have anybody and everybody sending requests to the database. And so that's that's from a public perspective. But then from the developer's perspective, as you asked, it's it's more of a providing guidance and, and giving an understanding of what are you providing access to in your connection string. So you don't want to just give access to everything in your database. And so that then translates into uh, the developer designing the config file uh, for data API builders. So not only are you providing the connection string and, and scoping down the amount of access that that gives, but you then uh, configure a, a permissions model within that config that, that you scope down roles, actions, and uh, entity access, for lack of a better term, for what you want your users to uh, be able to do on the platform. And so unless you have a certain role, you cannot perform certain actions. And that is enforced on Data API Builder. Um, and that's kind of our, our first step to this. And, and that that's how we're looking at it. And just adding on top of this, when you deploy Data API Builder in Azure, 
you can also, of course, use managed identities. Uh, so you don't even have to have password uh, moving back and forth. Uh, so right. So on top of what uh, Sean just said, that is that is something within Data API Builder. The other problem is uh, how do I make sure that uh, when Data API Builder is running and another service is calling it, uh, um, you know, maybe we can use managed identity. So that's exactly what happened, for example, again, with static web app. So, Again, the idea is that uh, it's our job also to make sure that the best place where to run the API Builder is Azure. But aside that, whatever Sean said, will work everywhere. So I have a, I have a couple of questions here, uh, kind of along some of the same lines. So one of them is you provide, you know, the authentication mechanisms, which you talked about earlier, and that was a big, you know, thought process. So I'm curious from a, uh, like from the API perspective, do y'all codify like some best practices into the actual API itself, i.e. like are there default retry policies or like do you, does the user, is the user responsible for still creating sort of the schema through which they make retries and, and those kind of things? Um, just curious if that's something that's baked in. Maybe the um, so a question here. So when you talk about retries, do you mean like some transient failures that the user get and you know there is some automated logic to retry the request? Yeah, so I kind of mean like, you know, maybe if I'm a data developer, I use Poly to retract yeah. my API calls. Is that something I still have to do or does the API itself actually handle, um, like provide me with default retry policies and those kind of things? Yeah, we do have a default retry policy, but uh, currently that is not configurable via the config file that you, you know, the okay. developer uses. But, you know, yeah, depending on the feedback, we can always incorporate that yeah. thing. And, but yeah, and guess uh, what? we have this retry yeah. policy in place. And guess what library are we using? Poly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, yeah, no, the, 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 that's important to underline because uh, we really didn't. Um, so we wrote a data API builder as you would have wrote it. This is for mm -hmm. us super important because uh, uh, allows you to, as a developer, to have the uh, basically the confidence that this is nothing more and nothing less than what you have done. And in fact, we allow. <clears throat> a huge amount of configura uh, configuration. Like, for example, I'm very picky about the name of my routes uh, when it comes to REST uh, or, or even GraphQL uh, objects. So you can configure everything like you, you would be able to do with your own stuff. So that's super important. Okay. okay. That's good to know. Yeah, and, that, and that's interesting. And it sounds like a good move. Um, the, the other question that I had that was kind of along similar lines is, okay, so I have this API, super easy to use. But what about what's the portability aspect from, you know, data API builder targeting one database versus another, right? Is it as simple as changing out a connection stream or is sort of the implementation uh, fairly specific to each one? And if I was going to make that change, it would still be somewhat of an undertaking. Um, like what's the level of sort of portability slash consistency when I switch yeah. from one Look, target to another? That, that's a great question. So one of the goal of the API Builder is to provide uh, to especially companies with a you know very diverse and huge data state uh, a sort of on a common API to access all databases. So I would say the data API, uh, the API produced by Data API Builder all looks the same. Like uh, if you connect to MySQL or Azure SQL or Postgres or Cosmos, you probably don't even uh, you, you, you are not able to understand that you are connecting to some specific database because database abstract all, uh, all the database complexity behind the scene. Having said that, of course, there are some features that we that we kept uh, as a kind of uh, additional value that each database can bring. Like, for example, Azure SQL and Postgres as uh, role-level security, we want to take advantage of it. Um, so if you are using, uh, for example, a SQL Server today or, or Azure SQL, you can enable role-level security at the database level, and you will be able to use it from Data API Builder. Of course, MySQL doesn't have that support. Uh, so if, if you start to use some specific feature of each database, 
then uh, it may be harder to move from one to another. But if you just uh, go with the common, uh, I would say, surface area, then uh, you can literally just change the connection string uh, and everything will work. But our goal was, uh, and this, uh, I really thank you for the question because uh, uh, allows me to highlight that our goal was not to make every database look like the same, but make sure that uh, uh, accessing database is the same for every type of database, but at the same time, uh, each database can bring up its own unique value, right? So, of course, in that in that case, uh, something will only work with Azure SQL and something else also with only with Cosmos or, or the other database. But again, the, from a developer perspective, when I learned how to access Data API Builder, I basically learned how to access all the other databases, which is, I think, a good, a really great value for a developer. Yep, and, and just to kind of add on to that, I'm, I'm assuming that I think Sean and I just mentioned about the config file uh, that you have to create. Is that is there some sort of a mapping that goes on between database entities and API routes or something like that? Like it's something like a resource navigator almost uh, in the database. Yeah, they you essentially map out everything that you want to be uh, present on your endpoints. And so if it's not in your config file, it's not accessible. And so that's a another barrier to entry for the security perspective. And so just because you provide a connection string doesn't mean that we're making everything in your database accessible. Um, and so anything that you put in your config file, so you're going to say, hey, I want uh, this table or this store procedure uh, exposed. Well, maybe I want to add custom mappings for or aliasing for those names. Mm. And so the, the rest route might be something, the GraphQL type names might be something else. And right. you get to change uh, those all within your config file. So that might be a good way to address the portability. I think uh, concern that uh, Kendall had because in another database we had a different name. You could kind of map it to make it look like the same and kind of achieve that that API level portability. Uh, although uh, my question was more about how uh, performance is monitored using the right because obviously, again, thinking as a developer, I'll often do things that will wind up uh, maybe doing table scans or whatever uh, on, you know, uh, on a database. You never make any mistakes with your code. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> Especially with like an API. Oh, look at that great API. Let me just call it. You know? So um, I just wondered, like, you know, is there some sort of a way to uh, for the AB to kind of uh, give you some performance stats as to, you know, what are the costs involved with each of those queries, for example? Right, so right, we don't have anything built in that will report on the actual performance of those queries, but depending on the database that you use, we'll be able to provide guidance on what that looks like to go into those databases and see, okay, well, you saw that uh, Data API Builder sent this query to the database. Well, what did that result in uh, behind the scenes? And is there anything that you can do to improve indexing or, or anything on the database side to help improve uh, prove the performance there? And then that's something that we're working on planning is how do we make that customizable from the developer's perspective. Okay, well, maybe we uh, translated the REST API request into a certain database query. Well, maybe that wasn't exactly what you wanted. Um, we're, we're looking into what that would look like to add that customization, but we don't have that uh, today, but it's definitely something that would be uh, useful. Right. And, and and just on the same on the same note, is there like a correlation ID that you can send in all the way from the uh, from the JavaScript thing all the way to the database, for example, yes. so you can get that into and trace? Yes, that's right. Awesome, thank you. Cool. Well, no, this is this is great. I you know I started my life at in in what used to be called the web data team at Microsoft, where we spent I don't know how much time we spent helping people write that that CRUD code around and chasing chasing bugs and whatnot on it. 
And uh, you're right. At the first couple of times, it's cool. And after that, you're just like, oh, this again. So, um, it, it, you know, I think this is this is great going forward. Um, any last, uh, you know, sort of things you want to leave the audience with or, or something you want to hit on that maybe we miss? Uh, no, I, I, the only thing I want to highlight is that uh, uh, a, 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 anyone listening should just go to aka.msdab. Uh, and also because we also have uh, already done uh, at least uh, three full end-to-end examples using Vue uh, as a front-end framework uh, or React. And so you can just, uh, you know, go through those samples, uh, see the end-to-end using uh, Azure SQL, Cosmos, and I think also Postgres. Um, so one, not only have the experience of using the API Builder, which is great, but how the API Builder actually fits uh, in a more, you know, uh, I would say real world scenario or real world architecture. And and that is super easy. That's amazing because that is really where you understand, oh boy, this happened in five seconds, not in two days. I just configure the file and it's working. Uh, that, that to me, every time I use it is always like, ah, so nice. So I really, <laughs> you know, wish people to go and have the same feeling because it's so nice. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you all for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you so you. much for having us. Yep. Thank no. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.